I'm Warren Berkeley with the Laurel Heights Church of Christ in McAllen, Texas, and we welcome you to our continued studies from the book of Acts. Because of our pace, we do not have the luxury of lengthy introductions, so let's make our way into Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, and I will take us into chapter 12 with four fast facts. After that, we will read and study from Acts chapter 12. Since most of Acts is historical narrative, we are not using the verse-by-verse -verse exposition method. We are covering one chapter in each class. To get us started, four fast facts. One, the gospel is spreading out of Jerusalem. This is just as the Lord said it must back in Acts 1 and verse 8. Persecution is on the increase. The persecution is coming from the power-hungry Jewish leadership, men who do not accept Jesus as the Christ and who have entirely human-centered ambitions. Number four, in this early period, while the apostles were on the earth, God continues to apply miraculous happenings in the interest of confirming the gospel. Some have called it a supernatural jump start in the early days of the spread of the gospel. That brings us to Acts chapter 12. I'm going to start with verses 1 through 5. Acts chapter 12, 1 through 5. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Good historians give readers and students time markers, and there is no better historian than Luke, who was inspired by the Holy Spirit to give us this account. And this chapter begins with a time marker. It says about that time, considering the reign of Herod and the mention of Claudius in the previous chapters, Bible chronologers put this at about A.D. 44. That's going to help us later when we attempt to identify some time markers with respect to Paul and his journeys. I want us to notice something in the opening paragraph of Acts chapter 12, Luke gives us an indication of Herod's motive or agenda. There is one phrase in verse 3, and you heard it just a moment ago. He saw that it pleased the Jews. These leaders were put in place primarily to keep peace by the Roman government. There was an expression that came from that era, Pax Romana. That's Latin, and it meant to keep the peace for Rome. So 
These leaders, for the most part, did not care about matters of scripture, theology, religion. Their agenda was political to keep the peace. Along with that, there were carnal ambitions. These men in the Herod family were inclined to exalt themselves and serve themselves. So, if a group came into existence that might upset the balance of peace, that might upset the Jewish leadership, that might cause some division or pull people away from Judaism, there was this kind of reaction sometimes that we've read about. Violent hands were extended to kill James, the brother of John. There are several men by the name of James. This was the brother of John, so the son of Zebedee, the apostle James. We will meet another James later in this chapter. He was the oldest of Jesus' brothers. This James, in verse 2, is the apostle executed by Herod. Then, when Herod saw that the optics of that served to please the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Here's another time marker. This was during the days of unleavened bread. That was a seven-day celebration. And you know, of course, it would be untoward and disrespectful to murder someone during the feast. I don't know if you could hear the sarcasm of hypocrisy I'm trying to convey. So he held Peter in maximum security, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. Now, while this is going on, what do you suppose Christians are doing? By now, it's obvious. They are praying, just as they had prayed in the account back in chapter 4. In the next section, you will almost feel sorry for Herod. Maybe not, but let's see what happened in Acts 12, 6 through 19. Acts 12, 6 through 19. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. 
And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, Are you out of your mind? But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motion, motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, Tell these things to James and the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. I like the way this reads and find it curious and even maybe amusing. Peter is in jail in maximum security, surrounded by four squads of soldiers bound by two chains, a light comes into the cell. An angel nudges Peter and says, wake up, get up quickly. I can imagine Peter was startled, but as he complied, the chains fell off his hands. The angel said, get dressed and put your shoes on, wrap yourself with your cloak and follow me. I like verse nine. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Paraphrase, this may just be a dream, Peter thought. This was not a dream. It was an escape engineered in heaven. When Peter calmed down, he realized it, verse 11, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Meanwhile, the Christians in Jerusalem are praying. They don't know about Peter yet. They are at the house of Mary. Well, there's more interesting drama here in the narrative. At the location of the prayer meeting, there was a servant girl, Rhoda, answered the door. This is amusing. She recognized Peter's voice and was so excited she ran to tell everybody, but didn't open the door. Then the people react by telling Rhoda she has lost her mind. And then they said, maybe it is his angel. Meanwhile, Peter's knocking at the door. He got in and described to his brothers and sisters in Christ what had happened. And then Peter left. Back at the jail, soldiers are agitated. They couldn't find Peter. And Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they would be put to death. <clears throat> Herod decides he needs some time away, so he leaves Judea to spend some time in Caesarea. This is certainly high, interesting, fast-paced drama. But embedded in this drama, there's the main point. The persecution of Christians, but they have God 
on their side. Chapter 12 pictures for us Christians already suffering from famine and persecution. Now, one of the apostles becomes a victim of Herod's wrath, but Peter is freed from prison. Here's how it all ends. I'm now in verses 20 to 25 of Acts chapter 12. Now, Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Now, Herod goes down in history as a monster with blood on his hands, hate in his heart, and yet people thought he was a god and not a man. God used an angel again this time to strike Herod down, but the word of God increased and multiplied. That is Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. I come now to my takeaways. One topic that emerges from this, as before, is prayer. In Acts 12, everybody wants to talk about angels. We know that God used angels on various occasions, all our curiosity about angels isn't satisfied. There is a mystique and dramatic interest in angels. We want to know all about them, but we are not told everything. Maybe that's because we are not angels. Therefore, there's no reason for us to know all about what they do. They do that. We respond to God according to his word. Better for us to concentrate on what we are to do as God's people and one privilege we have is prayer. And you see that all through the book of Acts. Not everybody is preaching publicly. Not everybody is working miracles. Not everybody is becoming an elder. But every faithful child of God is praying. And there isn't any doubt. We can and must be praying people today. And not just about our personal desires and issues, but about the spread of the gospel. The book of Acts shows God's people praying about the spread of the gospel and asking, uh, asking God for boldness to speak the word and for the protection of persecuted saints. So I will say to us, don't spend a lot of time trying to figure out what angels do. Leave that to God and angels. Our duty is to do the work of the Lord and preach the gospel and live for the Lord and edify and encourage one another and accompany all that with fervent prayer. Number two, the word of God cannot be stopped. In 2 Timothy 2 and verse 9, Paul made the statement that the word of God cannot be bound. 
One translation says it cannot be chained. One of the lessons from Acts 12 is no matter what evil men may do, the word of God is more powerful and it will continue. It will continue to be applied and spread. Men cannot stamp out the word of God. Consider here in Acts 12, at the beginning of the chapter, Herod is on a rampage, arresting and persecuting Christians, executing the apostle James, thinking he will do the same to the apostle Peter. The chapter opens with this grim report of all that makes it seem like truth is being crushed. But look at verse 24. The word of God increased and multiplied. <clears throat> when bad things begin to happen against us, when bad things begin to happen against us, we are never justified in thinking God's word will cease to exist, truth will be defeated, there will be no Christians. The word of God cannot be bound. We must keep preaching the word, trusting in the power of God through his word to break through and defeat human hostile plans. Number three, about Herod, we can learn several things. One, keying off the point just made, the Lord's work cannot be defeated. Number two, when you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. Three, it is a dreadful mistake to not give God the glory. Herod becomes our unintentional instructor. He models what we should never become. And he also becomes a monument of God's wrath. There was a professor of surgery at Bristol University in England a few years ago who wrote a book, The Bible and Modern Medicine. He studied the diseases of that time period when Herod died. From the text of Acts and from external sources, he determined in Herod's digestive system, God placed a nest of intestinal worms that created a painful obstruction that caused a slow and painful death. I wonder if that made an impression on the people who watched Herod die. The Lord's work could not be defeated. Josephus tells us King Herod never rebuked exaggerated flattery. Now that would, that would mean this. He would go out of his way to hear the praise of people who thought he was so wonderful. Never rebuked exaggerated flattery. But when the people hailed him as a god and he accepted that, the worms may have already been making their way into his body. The Lord's work could not be defeated. <coughs> Ideally, obstacles ought to propel us to greater service for the Lord. May I repeat <clears throat> with a clearer throat? Ideally, obstacles ought to propel us to greater service for the Lord. There is a human tendency when bad things happen to just sink into inactivity and pessimism and depression. When there is a serious setback, like the death of a beloved brother that we depended on, we may let that setback paralyze us. 
or set us into a panic of despair. If our faith is well set, it should happen that obstacles propel us to greater service to the Lord. Where we step up after the crisis, even during the crisis, and we work even harder for good things to happen through the preaching of the word. You know what I mean? And then I want to say there is a calm that is imparted to the mind through the strong commitment and activity of faith, where one trusts God and receives a calm demeanor by that faith. Peter was in prison, no doubt thinking he would probably be killed, and he slept like a baby. Paul and Silas were in jail in Philippi. Do you remember what they were doing? They had a singing. They were singing hymns. There is, for those who trust God, a defiance of death and a calm that cannot be discounted. By faith in Christ, that calm demeanor and peace can be ours. Praise God. The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. Thank you for listening. Next time we'll be in Acts chapter 13.